Welcome everybody to another episode of Critical Conversations. I'm Jared and I'm with you with my co-host Sam Castles. Good to see you guys. Yeah, we are excited to have another week here. Um, today we're going to be talking a bit about the Supreme Court. So I think that the next couple of weeks we're going to be discussing this and uh, a lot of this is in the news a lot the last couple of days. So I'm excited to talk yeah. about it. So yeah, absolutely. It was pretty wild timing and we had kind of already been thinking about talking about Supreme Court mm -hmm. and all of the implications of Supreme Court and the impact that it's had and the history of the Supreme Court, something that's really interesting to both of us. And then the yeah. tragic death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg sort of kicked us into gear and we were like, well, I guess we'll do it this week. And uh, yeah, it's unbelievable yeah. timing, really. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, we'll, we'll get into it in a bit, but like the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is just a, uh, adds a lot to 2020. Like it's just a sad, yeah. it's a sad moment for sure. Um, Absolutely. but it's, you know, been immediately turned into this political discussion. So we'll, we'll get into it for sure. Um, okay. yeah, so this week we're going to do a bit, bit of news and talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then we're going to kind of break down some of the history and some of the, um, things that have gone on with the Supreme Court and kind of judicial review and kind of these different is issues and topics. And then hopefully we'll circle back and talk about uh, some important Supreme Court cases next week uh, and some just uh, general topics about where the Supreme Court's going next and what that's right. going to be like. So, yeah. Yeah. So we are filming this on Thursday, uh, which is before the pick of the next yes. Supreme Court justice. Trump's supposed to do that on Saturday. So as of recording, we do not know what this will be, but when we publish on Sunday, we will know. Uh, it sort Correct. of works out because we are wanting to do a two-part two episode. Uh, it's our first two-part episode. There's just too much to talk about with the yep. Supreme Court, especially with the news aspect of uh, suddenly becoming a very current topic. And right. uh, so we're hoping to sort of set that up this episode and the next episode um, get into a little bit further details, a little bit more history and talking a little bit more about the Supreme Court pick. That, yeah, hopefully we pick. can talk yeah. about who the nominee is and uh, yeah, that'll be really good. So I feel like uh, I should ask you who you think it's going to be and then I'll take the opposite stance and then we can see who's right <laughs> okay. by the time this gets published. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling like it's a pretty good chance Amy Coney Barrett is my top pick. It's I think most people's top pick. So yeah, uh, that's gonna I be think she's she definitely feels like the lead horse in the race. I mean, yep. but uh, Barbara Lagoa, I'm gonna go with her just to yep. good. just to oppose you. Uh, yep. good. I'm gonna go ahead and say that being from Florida, being Cuban American, <laughs> is gonna be the politic politics side that puts it over the edge. Which I also feel like a little squeamish about. Like, should you really? be picking your Supreme Court justice based on like identity and like helping you win an election in a state. Like, I don't love it. Not yeah, gonna lie. That's where we're at. So <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes, I guess at this point from both sides. So uh, it's yeah, it's I do great. think uh, I do on the low. I think your your Amy, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be the, uh, yeah, you pick, know, I got to place a three named justice for another three named justice. You know, that's just, that right. seems, that seems, <laughs> Only fair. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. That's super true. Um, okay, but I do want to talk about one little bit of news before we uh, dive into the rest of the SCOTUS stuff. Um, so this is kind of 
been in the news and talking about this week and and it continues to be in the news but i just wanted to bring up the idea of uh, mail-in ballots in the, the election and i think this is trump's made some statements this week that are you know talking about the ballots that have seemed very um yeah just kind of are really interesting and have a lot of people talking so i just kind of wanted to bring up like what do you think of mail-in ballots and i think it's such an interesting um, election season because we've got so many people still in lockdown. You know, you look at some of these states that are still in lockdown, they aren't going to be completely voting by mail. And then you have states right. like Texas, where they're like, only if you're out of state or you can't vote in person, can you get, can you use a mail-in ballot? Um, right. Yeah. And every state's different with like when it needs to be postmarked, when it needs to be, yep. need to be sent by then, received by then. Uh, it's wildly complicated. Oh, I, man. uh, I'm probably less informed than you. I mean, I'm just going to vote in person, or at least I say that now. Right. Maybe if I get there and it's a four hour wait, I'll be like, one <laughs> vote wasn't going to count anyway. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, Sounds so bad, but uh, yeah. I just kind of wanted to like share a little bit of my history. So like I was out of, when I was out of state at school, I tried to vote in the 2016 election. And rec so the process, if you don't know, you have to, you don't just get about you have to print out stuff or like send in a request for a request for a ballot then you send in the request for the ballot then you get the ballot and then you send the ballot back in so they're each a different like time frames before the election yeah. so i sent in my request for ballot 10 days before that was due and it didn't make it in time from arkansas to texas so like obviously i get that there's so many issues with the way these mail-in right. ballots work and it's just going to be this really complicated um issue but i think yeah i don't know I, i'm still formulating my opinion on this but my my gut instinct says to let mail-in ballots happen if they need to because i think it's better that people can vote safely if they choose to do no matter what you believe on the virus if you feel safer doing that one way that's going to be a minor like if their vote gets lot like yeah I don't know. So Texas Supreme Court has announced that no one in Texas can vote from a mail-in ballot unless they they have to. So Harris County, uh, which I'm not sure exactly where that's located, but I think it's um, San Antonio area. I could be or Austin. I could be wrong. Um, but they tried to institute like sending everyone in their constituency mail a request for ballots. So not actual ballots, just requests. And Texas Supreme Court shot that down. Um, which I mean, it's like if it's a local government and you want to pay for it and you want to do it, like that seems like you should be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I I get the argument against you know voter fraud and that's that's definitely scary. Um, yeah. I, well, but, I mean, I, one thing I've heard is like a lot of, for example, parents whose kids are at college. A lot of times, your kids over eighteen, they can vote. The their ballots are going to come straight to the house, like. They're not going to come right away to right. Their college or whatever. And yeah, no one knows who's living where. Like a lot of times those records are not up to date. Right. Yeah, it's, it's wildly yeah, it's, complicated. It it's messy. Really is. But I would encourage people listening if, you know, no matter where you are, look up what your rules for your state are. If you can vote right. in person, if you can't, and make sure you get that request in in time. Be registered and get those requests in if you need to do that. Um, although yeah. some people are living in states where they're literally just mailing the ballots themselves, like California, I think it's yeah. just mailing ballots. 
like if you're a registered uh, voter it's like if you're registered and voted you will just like just like the census form like you'll just get one in your mail and then you can fill yeah, it out yeah wild so that's yes. crazy for sure and i don't know what i think about that but i definitely think like a request for ballot is 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 different um yeah but i don't know yeah it's, it's a messy situation it is yeah it's it's kind of become this thing where the the democrats um it's like it's done in the name of like anti-voter suppression but it's very important to them that there's good turnout good turnout helps democrats historically especially right. the people that uh like younger people that don't tend to vote as much they tend to vote increasingly democrat so that sort of getting them out in whatever way necessary is important to the democrats and i think from the republicans side they obviously don't want to like <laughs> make it too easy um right also, it's become I, so yeah. political so quickly right. like you know i'm sure harris county in texas is a very uh more much more liberal county you know than right the supreme court makeup of texas is right um so i mean yeah, yeah and i also totally see the argument like i mean we probably the people that you want voting are the people who are informed and like go find the, the ballot and make an effort to vote and not people who just like you know got something in the mail <laughs> like you know right yeah it's i kind of see both sides to that for sure no for sure but and yeah if you're sick or you're worried about getting sick and you right because if you ballots, live like, in texas yeah. you've you've been you know and your job works from home you've been able to get by pretty easily without having to go into big crowds of people right. but if you want to vote you're kind of out, out of luck so yeah i think that's and, that's tough yeah it's definitely easy to say like, oh, well, just wait in line and socially distanced and stuff. But like, if you've ever waited in a line during COVID, <laughs> people are really bad at yep. standing six feet apart. And yep. it feels like if you're standing in a long line of people, you're sort of, you're six feet away, but you're standing where someone was, yep. you know, and someone will be, yep. and it, it can't be good. <laughs> Although I will say the two places I've been with good lines, the only two are Trader Joe's, uh, this is the first one. And the second one was when I went to get my title change for my car, they had like dots across oh the goodness. entire building and outside, yeah. like the whole line, like, and, and like literally security guards standing like every five feet to make sure you were doing it. Trader Joe's is, Trader Joe's is no joke. We like didn't go to Trader Joe's for like four months because there was always a line outside oh, yeah. the door. For sure. Yeah. There goes that really loud car again. <laughs> Uh, you've got but, the good mic; it'll pick it up, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, so it's it's a mess. Uh, yep. Both sides are already planting the seeds. Some maybe more directly than planting the seeds of manipulation, election election fraud. Yep. Uh, it's gonna get dicey. We've got. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that. that as we get yeah. closer again. So, Supreme Court might have to weigh in, and that's of course a different scandal. And, and wow. Yep. Yep. November in 2020, it's just going to keep going. <laughs> it's just one thing after another. So one thing after another. Yeah. So speaking of Supreme Court, we can move into talking about that now. Yeah. Um, so I have um, an article here from Politico and they kind of combined a bunch of the Supreme Court justices statements mm -hmm. on um, Ginsburg's death. And I thought I'd just read some of the quotes from some of these because I think they're uh, they're really powerful and they're really good. 
uh, and worth hearing. And before we get into the political divide and the political discussions, because um, I think Ginsburg was a a force to be reckoned with in America um, and a justice unlike any other and more famous than any other justice, I think. Yeah. Um, with movies and books and a cultural movement behind, like, uh, no matter what you agree or disagree with most of her rulings, like, she was she was an important figure in American life. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So, um, Jock Roberts is saying here, he says, today we mourn with the confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her, a tireless, tireless and resolute champion of justice. Um, Gorsuch says, her sacrifices for the country were many, but were always performed with honor. We are blessed to have the happy memories remain, like traveling to her with London, where an uninformed guide kept calling her Ruthie, or when she tried to teach the opera to me and her sweet tooth at lunch. We will miss Ruth and our hearts go out to her and her family. Uh, and there's many others. I encourage you to read those statements from um, each of the other eight justices, because I think they're, they're worth reading. And um, Yeah, so that happened on, what was that, Sunday? Monday? No, it was Friday. Last week? Okay, last Friday. Yeah, so it's been almost yeah, a week. six days, yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, and I think after she passed away and like people Im immediately jumped into political discussions, right? It was like, yep. woke up Friday morning or whatever the next morning was and it was just barrage yeah. of you know, McConnell already saying that, you know, we're going to quickly uh, yeah. vote in a new person and Trump saying we're yep. going to vote a new person. And, um, yep. it, yeah, went pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see what a big issue this is and how important this is. A lot of people will make the claim that in 2016, the biggest driving force for voters was, uh, in the presidential election was that power to appoint, uh, nominate Supreme Court justices. Yeah. And it's amazing to see how, how influential the Supreme Court has become, what like a weighty, huge responsibility this is. There, I mean, there are so many factors that contribute to just the magnitude of appointing a Supreme Court justice that it can, it can be a single issue for a lot of voters. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it's crazy how there's a joke um, that my poli sci division had, and it was political scientists are, like around were joking, but Gorsuch. So you list whatever you know thing you didn't like about Trump or anything you didn't like about right. A16, but you say but 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 Gorsuch, and we yeah. so we got our um, professor a stress ball that had Gorsuch's face on it and said but Gorsuch. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. So yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, what is it, uh, and, and this goes for a lot of Senate as well, like Mitch McConnell and uh, Donald Trump, that's kind of their crown jewel, is uh, how many justices they've appointed, I think. Yeah, and it's, at, he's at like 9,000 in his career. It's not, yeah, it's not just Supreme Court, but it's right. these justices all over. We've had over 200 district court judges in the Trump presidency that have been confirmed, and yeah. that's not counting just the ones that have been nominated. Right. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, the rehaul of the judiciary that has happened in the last four years. Right. Um, 
So, and having three potential of three Supreme Court picks in one four year presidency is unheard of. Like, that's crazy, you know, <laughs> in one yeah. term to have three picks potentially. And there was even there were, you know, rumors that Thomas could step down. Like, it could have been four if he had chosen to, to retire. So, right. would have been wild. Um, yeah. Well, I think on top of that, uh, the second oldest judge is, uh, is, it, is Kagan, right? That's um, Kagan's age. I think so. No, no, not Kagan. Kagan's 60. It's Breyer. Breyer is 82. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's getting old. And uh, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she died, was 87. Seven, I want to say, yeah. He's 82, and then the next oldest is Clarence, who's only 72. Only 72. Yeah, only 72. But, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's remarkable that now it, what we're looking like, we're going to have 6'3", Republican, like, you know, whatever, 6'3", mm-hmm. conservative. There's, like, a lot of debate behind, like, well, our judges even conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican. Like, a lot of right. – we can go into that a little bit later. But on top of that, the next oldest is also a more progressive liberal Democrat judge right. who's Stephen Breyer at 82. So if he was the next to step down or pass away or something like that, you know, it could, it could even go further in the Republicans direction. So it is a wild time. Yep. And I think we're starting to see a lot of desperation on the left. Uh, like how do we, how do we prevent this? Yeah. So we, I'm curious operate around this. I'm yeah. curious to what you think on this whole so okay so we have the contrast between 2016 and now right so in 2016 or 20 yeah so 2016 we had um alito oh no we had um uh oh shoot merrick garland merrick Merrick garland Garland. yes so merrick garland was nominated by obama and the senate republicans at the time stonewalled and said you know on the basis of protecting democracy and integrity and whatever, let the voters pick and um, pushing it till November. And so obviously yeah. then Trump wins in 2016 and that's how Gorsuch gets in instead of Merrick Garland. Right. Um, and then now you have the flip side, you have a, you know, a Republican Congress that's like, let's get, or, let's get this done as quickly as we can. Um, so right. I'm wondering if you see a hypocrisy there or is it just politicians being politicians? Like what do you, yeah. what are your initial thoughts? I mean, I think there's very clearly hypocrisy on both sides. It's very <laughs> evident. Yep. Um, I mean, the the Democrats you had, you know, they were all pushing for this exact same thing four years ago. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, you know, her her dying wish or one of them was that Trump wait and not appoint justice until the next election. Right. Um, but in 2016, she was one of the first to say, you know, this is, you don't stop being the president in the presidential year, like it's his job to appoint. So whatever, that's true of Chuck Schumer, that's true of all those Senate Democrats the same way. And then I think a lot of Republicans, the exact same thing. I I think now the Republicans are trying to claim, well, this is different because we have the presidency and the Senate, but I do not see that context sort of coming from them back in 2016. There's a lot of there's a lot of loopholes that I've heard Republicans do to justify both. A lot of gymnastics behind it, and I'm like, you know, there. 
clearly there's similar enough situations where a president, like, you know, there's the lame duck argument. Well, Obama was going to leave anyway. It was have to be a new president. Trump could be reelected. So it wouldn't matter. So like, I, right. I get that. Sure. But like Hillary would have kept Merrick Garland's nomination. So it wouldn't like, it, that's not that big a difference uh, in my mind. And so I feel like, what should have happened originally in 2016 was Senate Republicans should have sucked it up and just been like, okay, well, this is our responsibility, nominate Merrick Garland. So that if something like this happens, then you have the opportunity to get another justice on the court, which, right. I, I, but I also understand the temptation in 2016, they could do it and they did and they got the justice they wanted. So yeah. like, and it's legal. There's no right. like, legality against it. There's no, nothing in the constitution saying you have to within 90 days of a nomination, like there's nothing, none of that. So. Right. Yeah, I definitely think I'm starting to see there are a lot of things that are done a certain way that are not mandated to be that way, but it's sort of, well, since we don't want to have chaos down the road, we're just going to like abide by this. And then, you know, hopefully we work together. But it seems like with the increasing divide between Republicans, Democrats, this framing of like us versus them, it's a war. Yep anything goes yep. sort of they screwed us over so now we can do this i mean i've seen that attitude a lot on the right like oh look what they did to kavanaugh oh they impeached him in election year so therefore everything's on the table right and we see that rhetoric coming from democrats now like okay well if you pass and you and you pass through another supreme court nominee and, and approve them then everything's on the table for us so it's like Right. So I've yeah. had some people that I respect and uh, have written articles that I've read about how if this happens and then this gets confirmed, which is looking like it probably will, whoever's the nominee will probably, Very get, likely. Yeah. will probably get confirmed in the next two months or by the end of the year for sure. Um, Do you think it could happen before the election? Potential. I mean, it's crazier things have happened. Like the, They've had you, quicker... If, yeah, they've had quicker ones before. And if you look at the Senate, so I follow the Senate cloakroom, which is like, uh, follows the Senate Republic, or just follows the Senate and what they're voting on on Twitter. And they just tweet out constantly. It's 90% judges. Like that's what they're doing. They are confirming yeah. judges. And so they're going to expedite this as fast as possible. Um, but anyway, so I've seen lots of people talk about, well, if this happens and Democrats take over the House, the Senate, and the White House, then they will turn to court stacking as the next big um, push. And so right. bringing up the total to 13 or 15 judges yeah. and balancing the, balancing the court back out, whatever that looks like, right. um, so that it's fair or whatever the argument that you have there yeah. is. And then you could have the next president, let's say the next, let's say Biden wins, but is only in office four years and a Republican takes office in four years. And then it's just like, I'm either A, not listening to the Supreme Court anymore because this bogus court stacking or B, I'm going to court stack. And you have yep. this full constitutional crisis. You've lost the filibuster in the Senate, which has to be gone away with anyway, if you want a court stack. So it's just, it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting. I, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I was talking about where it's like, well, I mean, the Constitution does not say nine justices. Nope. 
Yep, there we had seven for a long time in our plenty our of changes. FDR tried to change it to was it fifteen? Fifteen. Because the Supreme Court was stepping on his mojo. Yep. And uh, yeah, get a lot it, of the war powers done that he wanted. So it he, sort of feels like kind of what's happening now. Like okay, it's a lame, it's a lame duck president. So we should just wait. You don't have to, but it'd be like a huge breach in like the trust or the communication between. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, and this feels like another thing. Like, okay, well, we're only going to do it in re- retaliation, and right. it, it's opening a whole can of worms. But if you're not going to work with us, then that's what we're going to do. It, there's definitely going to be a lot of bluffing and things like that, you know. Oh yeah, well, because I can un- totally understand wanting to bluff this court stacking if you're not going to because right. I mean, Biden's been very coy about the issue. Well, you know, like not saying one way or the other because that leads to the potential right. to do that. And so it might persuade them to, yeah. um, to not nominate anyone. But yeah, they've been talking about like keeping impeachment on the table. Right. Again, <laughs> just like, oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, it has potential to get really dirty, really uh, ugly. On the other hand, we know politicians love their gloom and doom like rhetoric. They, they know that motivates people to get out and vote. So I think it's in the interest of both sides to be like, this is devastating. The other side is unprecedented, yada, yada, where both sides are going to talk a big game. And then November might come and go and it might be back to normal. That's my optimistic take. Right. It's, it's just a lot of hot air, but Man, they they definitely impeached Trump this year, and I would have thought that was all talk. But yeah, it. it so happens, who knows? Yeah. I mean, yep. who knows? Yep. No, it's crazy, and I, I'm of two minds about whether like, this should happen in the first place, right? Like, I get that. Like, I don't want this escalation to happen, right? So my optimistic sense says it's fine; it won't happen, and so we can just go ahead and nominate somebody. And confirm somebody but the other side i'm like well maybe we should just like just wait like let november play out and then but it, the temptations is too strong for republicans in the senate yeah. like it's just you have the yeah. opportunity now you don't know what's going to happen in november so i totally right. understand like just especially with if there's you know there's going to be tampering calls in november and whether the supreme mm-hmm. court has to get involved i don't know but if they right. do like that's going to be an issue Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So that's well, why they're going to want someone. That's the argument I've already seen several times. Like, we want someone on the Supreme Court right. by November to make a ruling so that there's not a 4 4 split. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, there must have also been a bit of political calculus into, well, do, do Republicans think we should wait and and then say to our, our voter base, hey, you have to turn out. So we can get this justice through. That's that's because that would also be true of the left. They must have thought, okay, well, the Democrats will do the same thing, and then this actually might turn out more Democrats. So maybe we just do this now, and it's not really going to turn out because it's already been decided, or whatever. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a that's a valid claim, and I think that worked in 2016. That brought a lot of people to vote for Trump that I don't know yeah. otherwise would. Now I feel like we're so set in our ways of what we know about Trump. Because then it was like, well, Trump could be good, could be bad. Yeah. But, you know, the Supreme yeah, Court's yeah. going to push me over the edge. 
now we know right. what it's about. And so people are going to be yeah. more informed on what the issue is. And so the Supreme Court might not matter as much, but right. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say what could really happen to actually change people's minds. Like, right. it feels like that independent voter is very elusive. I feel like the bigger thing is getting your turnout up. Like, uh, what's going to motivate your base? Yeah. I know a lot of people say that in 2016, you had the uh, Mueller um, report on Clinton saying with the emails that happened really close. Yeah. Or was that, wait, am I thinking of uh, Comey? Again to report it's yeah the, well, the email scandal was before Mueller yeah, that was before but it, yeah anyway there was something really close to election day that started to swing the polls over like just a few days before um yeah it's crazy so yeah <laughs> it is crazy something um that always comes to my mind and i know that this is more of a, a conservative leaning take on it but the Supreme Court being such a big deal, such an influential thing, is sort of a byproduct of uh, over-activism by the court itself. It's become something that it wasn't intended to be. It yep. started to take a lot more of a uh, legislator, legislature-like approach to things. Things are written more like statutes. It's solving these big cases that probably should be left to Congress, et cetera, et cetera. That's definitely, I think, again, like a more right-wing way of phrasing this, but I do think there's a ton of water to the statement that the court has just grown um, to monumental importance. This single issue deal is, is uh, just fascinating how, how big it's become. Well, yeah, and I think we can talk about this more when we kind of talk about the future of the court, yeah. but like, I don't know if you saw Ted Cruz has a book coming out, I think next week now that has been pushed up because of um, Ginsburg's passing and the new justice. Um, but it's basically like what it's called like one vote away or something. And it's basically saying that one vote in the Supreme Court matters so much for so many yeah. things. And it's like, you're a senator, you have one of the most powerful like seats in America to pass legislation like Shouldn't right. that vote be so much more? And I, I get lost in it myself because I'm, you know, I work at a law firm. Like so much of our stuff is in the courts. So we're constantly like, right. And I think, we, I mean, obviously we're a law firm, so we have to work in the court system. That's how it works. Um, right. But I get so lost in like, oh yeah, let's just, we got to do all these things through the courts and forget like, okay, there are other ways to solve these issues. Of course. Um, yeah. Than just the court ruling. But I mean, it's been that way for a long time now. Like, you know, the Supreme Court has made monumental shifts in American culture. Like mm. you look back at Brown v. Board, like, you know, these oh my gosh. huge, yeah. huge things that have, you know, Miranda rights, like all of these things have come right. from Supreme Court cases. Yeah. Um, it is the third, you know, the third branch of government. Yeah. And yep. it's not, it's nine people, which is a small amount of people and they're appointed for life. Yep. And, impeaching them is a process like and it's, that uh, virtually unheard of yeah 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 so. so it's amazing i mean it's grown to be very strong and do we want to pivot a little bit to the founding and yeah, sort of the original so. intent of the supreme court i know we sort of want to chronicle how it got to uh where it is today and its importance and 
talk about if it was sort of always meant to be that way. But yeah, it definitely have to take a look back to the the roots and history to answer that, I think. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we just go back to the like intense, like if you, I mean, do you want to just read what the constitution says? Like, it's not much, <laughs> you know, we've it. got this huge, okay, you can, you can pull it up while I explain. Like, you know, we've got this huge section of, you know, the, the presidency and all what happens in the executive branch, like, right. It's like very detailed explained. Right. And you've got all this stuff on the second, you know, the second article, like talking about Congress and how it's going to be broken up in House and Senate, like all these different things. And then you've got the Supreme Court, uh, which by far has the least amount set yeah. up. Um, yeah, it's Article Three. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I want to make sure I'm getting the actual text and not some. Um, yeah, yeah, it is very short. All right, Article Three, Section One. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall, as stated times, receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. Yeah, um, and then section two goes on to talk about states and the differences between that and like impeachment. And then it talks about like treason and stuff at the at section it's three. Pretty unrelated to the Supreme Court. Yes, so it's really just that. Just that section one. Really section one, which is three sent two sentences, yeah. <laughs> right? And there's yeah. no, there's no like outlines for term limits because they're lifetime appointments. There's no outlines for age. There's no official qualifications. So right. obviously the people we've, America has good precedent, I think, in getting good Supreme Court justices. Like, they're some of the most brilliant minds in America. Absolutely. Like, in that sense, they've been good, but there's technically no qualifications that... Right. Um, no age limit, like there is yep. for president or senator. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy that we have, like, you know, not, not much... But basically the idea of the Supreme Court is to handle cases and handle things that lower courts have disagreements on and lower courts have uh, issues with, right? Um, right. But I think- Because we know the, the appealing process is a really important part of the judicial system. Yeah, But it so, stands to reason that it has to end somewhere. <laughs> right, so kind of the process in America, so I'll kind of give a, a brief overview of like where cases go where they come from so uh, you know depending on where it starts it will start either in like a local state branch and if it's has to do with the state government it will eventually go through state district courts and then the state supreme court and then if you appeal from the state supreme court it goes directly to the u.s supreme court so there's no federal issue in between there so it goes straight from the state right. supreme court to the federal uh, but if it's a federal issue, so it's a federal crime, or if it's between states, or if it's a civil issue between like any of that, it starts in the district courts, and then you have the federal court of appeals. So that's if you feel like you didn't get your justice in the district courts, you then appeal to the federal court of appeals, which there are 12 of them, uh, 13 if you count D.C., and then um, if you appeal from those courts, then you go to the Supreme Court. So it's this, you know, so, process of appeals that gets all the way to yeah. the Supreme Court. 
So when people say the Ninth Circuit courts, is that that second one right before the Supreme Court? So that is the, the Court of Appeals, yes. Okay. So if you say the Ninth Circuit, First Circuit, like those cover districts in America. So the Ninth Circuit, or so the Fifth Circuit covers like the South. So it's like Texas and it goes into like Tennessee area, like it kind of goes off east right. uh, from Texas. And then you've and got- And those are all appointed by, nominated by the president and approved by Senate. So all, all those judges, all federal judges, so not just circuit judges, but also district judges are approved, are appointed by the president, approved by the Senate. So there's like wow. 900 something total. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot, you, you know, when you go down to district courts. Um, right. But then there's two, there's also two processes in circuit courts. So you could lose at the circuit court, which is, so how circuits work is you get three judges to review your case. So if you've appealed to a circuit court, you get, I don't know if they draw hats or like if they choose, I'm not sure how the process of getting three works, but you get heard by three. Right. And then if you, you could appeal to that same court and ask for an en banc hearing, if you've ever heard that term, and that has to gather all of the justices on the circuit court. So that could be up to like, I think the Ninth Circuit has 18 justices on it and all of those would have to review your case. And then you could still go to the Supreme Court, but usually it ends after a circuit court appeal or an en banc here. Yeah. And there are some cases that can go directly to the Supreme Court and they don't have so, to start. Any, yeah, so yeah, so if they come from the state Supreme Court, remember they can go straight to the right. Court, which that doesn't happen as often because it's a lot of, it's usually federal issues that right. go to the Supreme Court. Um, and it, But it's all up to the Supreme Court justices. So four of those justices have to choose whether to take a case. So they can step in and rule on a case like they did in 2000 when they talk about Bush, they stepped into the case and they're like, hey, we're gonna talk about this, give a ruling, no right. one gets another word, right? They don't have, doesn't have to go through the whole process. So the Supreme Court will occasion, occasionally step into an issue when a quick ruling is needed um, and de declare a ruling. But, uh, but most of the time it takes five years to get to the Supreme yeah. Court, right? Right, it's a serious process, yeah it is involved. Um, right. Just to give some sort of context, like there are, th I think it's like 10,000 requests to the Supreme Court every year. And wow. the judges take about 70. Wow. So it yeah. is- I mean, they must be spending a lot of their time just figuring out what they want to hear. What they yeah, so there's this hear. thing called the, big, the Great Conference in October, or the Big Conference or something. And all the justices gather around and they look over the summer and the last spring because they're off in the summer and they just it's long then they just look through all their cases like they just gather around a table i'm sure their aides have prepped and whatever right they're the cases um but then they just decide and if they have a vote of four then they will take and listen to that case but it's so few in comparison to how many are requested um, right absolutely it's kind of crazy so wild yeah, so that's a that's a brief like overview of how things work at the Supreme Court. Yeah, thank you um, for running that down. Yeah, and so I think I'll add I'll add this is like the important like milestone in the early history of the Supreme Court uh, is Marbury Marbury v. Madison. So this is kind of right. this happened about twelve years after the founding of the court. So it was eighteen oh one, I think. Yeah, so eighteen hundred um, was like when it kind of started, but it was 1801 when this case happened. Um, 
And it basically asks, it establishes the power of judicial review, which the judicial review is basically the ability to look at a case that has already happened and decide whether it's true or not. And then that sets precedent for the future. So it has a whole lot wrapped in it, but it's basically a lot of what the Supreme Court does today is they look back and they establish, and they can set precedent on certain issues in law and they're allowed to do that. So they basically established their own sense of, of law, right? Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they basically said, hey, we have the power to do, to look at laws and say whether they're true or not. And then that becomes, that becomes fact. And then American was, America was like, Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. The yeah. Doesn't have like any executive power. So. Right. And, and like we read in the constitution, it was extremely vague. Right. There's no, there's no judicial review. It's just like, they will rule on what, like, was their precedent become law? Like, what does that mean? And so right. judicial review firmly established what the Supreme court would become uh, in Marbury v. Madison. So, so is there any wiggle room and it, you like briefly said earlier when we were talking about sort of alternatives to diminishing the power of the Supreme Court or if worse comes to worse, could an executive branch just choose to ignore the Supreme Court? Like what, would that be against Marbury versus Madison or, or would it be against the constitution? Like how would an argument like that run? So it's interesting. So basically Marbury v. Madison establishes whether something's judicial review, which establishes whether something is constitutional or not. So potentially, you could say if the president or Congress chose to ignore something that the Supreme Court says, then they're going against something unconstitutional, because technically, this court has the power to declare something unconstitutional. Right. But the Supreme Court said that they did. <laughs> right. Technically, it's not in the Constitution. Um, but again, I mean, these are like, you know, early, early justices in 1800. So this is established yeah. as we've never had really a case where they just completely go against the Supreme Court ruling. Right. Uh, although it looked like it could potentially back in Brown v. Board, like there were some, it doesn't, they're not always immediate when the court rules something because they have no executive power. Right. There's um, no way to actually follow through or enforce it. Right. They have to leave that up to the federal or state governments. Of course. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting that we could have, if someone decided to not agree with the Supreme Court ruling, we would have a constitutional crisis. Right. So just like any constitutional crisis where you decide to do something unconstitutional, that's just how, that's, we wouldn't really know what to do. We'd be in uncharted territory at that point. Right. Um, and and it's I think important, go ahead. Oh, I just, I think that's why um, you see Roberts being very, moderate in his ruling since he's taken power in a world of shifting alliances and a world of more and more partisanship and negative partisanship right. he as chief justice has chosen to stay firmly in the middle and not give there's no you know we've had no abortion cases that have like you know overturned roe v wade we've had no like crazy other cases that i mean some of them have been pretty major but in general it's always like ah uh, they're kind of important I mean, they're kind of impactful but not as much as they could have been because roberts is like we don't want to right. have a point where the next president or the current president decides we don't agree right yeah yeah his uh his sort of transition has been 
very interesting. I, I don't know as much about like his reasoning and things like that, but I was going to say a minute ago, it's really important to remember uh, Marbury versus Madison was decided in 1803. And, yeah. you know, those are like Madison is one of the founders, one of the framers <laughs> of the constitution, yada, yada. It stands to reason that if this ruling was in gross like controversy with the constitution and the framers themselves have been like, uh, that's not what we meant, you know, like right. there would have been a lot more um, debate about that. So even though it was debated, I think at the end of the day, the framers themselves were like, yeah, this is sort of what we had in mind. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know I think, as much about I think like, the actual criticism and dilemma, but. Yeah. And I think like, it's generally understood that this is a good thing. Like Marbury Madison, judicial review is a good thing, right? Because we have all the time, we have a thing called a circuit split where a similar issue comes up in the Ninth Circuit, which is California and the West Coast, and a similar issue comes up in the Fifth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit rules one way and the Ninth Circuit right. rules the opposite. And so what do you do? Like, these are similar issues, and that's why you have the Supreme Court that can then declare, okay, that one is constitutional, that one is not. Like, you have to have some sort of final say. Yeah, and it's, and it's been framed as, you know, part of a, the check and balance system. If you have- right. Congress who's partisan one way and then the president happens to be the same way. That's why we have the Supreme Court. They're in there for life so that they can't be swayed by a quick movement um, to one side. And they're they're again, they're there to sort of slow down the process and make sure that nothing is rushed into uh, by a swing to power from one side or the other. Right. And I think it's worth noting that no matter you know, who's nominated and who's confirmed to the Supreme Court. They're going to live on the Supreme Court for a long time. And they're not necessarily going to vote the way we think they're going to vote. Um, Roberts, when he came on the court, was appointed by a Republican president, was assumed to be very conservative. And he's, as Chief Justice, he's moved very moderate. And he just kind of stays in the middle. Like, so Gorsuch hasn't been as conservative as he could have been either. It's Kavanaugh. Like, they both had Yeah, Kavanaugh, I mean, was supposed to be very conservative. I think he's tended a lot more moderate than people might have expected. And I think people don't real. I think what people forget to realize is that these justices know what their place and they realize, and they're like, these these issues are so complicated that they're not just going to say, you know, oh, it's this conservative issue and that's the way we vote. And it's, it's not like the Senate, like these, their minds think differently. Right. Um, right. And I think that's a good thing. Right. It's, so, they're yeah. not nominated through a party per se. We just sort of happen to see that presidents and senates tend to choose judges that line up more with right. their ideology. But yeah, at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a Republican Supreme Court justice. Right. And they don't get reelected. So they're not worrying about interest they're not worrying about lobbying as groups they're right. not worried about money like they are pretty stationary so that gives them right. wiggle room to move in there sort of why it's structured that way yeah so yeah yeah absolutely okay uh, what else do we want to talk about uh, well yeah i mean we could talk a little bit about why some justices tend to be favored by Democrats and what that sort of political philosophy or philosophy behind the Supreme Court is in their cases, as opposed to a Republican nominee 
why there's such a divide. Uh, we could talk about maybe why the Supreme Court has become so big since Marbury versus Madison. Um, either correction. Those things yeah, are related. I, I think kind of the one of the ways to frame how the differences between republic or like more conservative judges and more liberal judges is in judicial interpretation, right? So judicial interpretation is the different ways the judges look at the constitution in order to inform their opinions and what they write. Um, and there's different way, like, I mean, people, the constitution is, can be vague. It can be hard to read. Like, so there are different ways that different judges choose to interpret it. And I think that leads to different, outcomes yeah um so i can kind of talk through or we can talk through some of those different types yeah of yeah let's talk and, about that for a minute okay um uh, yeah go ahead well it's it's sort of difficult to talk about this in a balanced way because right off the bat you have these terms and buzzwords that are thrown around yep. and they're very typical of politicians they love to frame things as like uh, I'm a this word, which is a positive thing, mm -hmm. and and obviously you would support this because I'm this, and you know it's like we we had joked about um, like naming something the Patriot Act, like you know, <laughs> right? Or uh, what was the oh like tough on crime? Like who could be against tough on crime? Right. Um, yeah. So you see a lot of more Republicans, conservatives, frame their justices as the originalist and the textualist and then you yep. see them sort of paint the other side as oh they believe that the uh supreme that the constitution is a living document and they like to yep. take their adaptations and um make up rulings and things like that um but <laughs> right. yeah it's, it's it's so it's hard to sort of break it down into this sort of two schools of thought because it's not as clear cut as that. No, it's there's really there really aren't two schools of thought. It's right. There's lots of schools of thought and there's lots of nuances that come with each school of thought. Right. Um, I think the most the the simplest one to start with is Scalia, and kind of pioneering or taking hold of the idea of originalist. So originalism is this idea of basically as it was intended. So it's not slightly different from textualist, which looks at the constitution itself. So they read the constitution and they say, that's what it says. So we're going to do that because right. that's what's in the text. Originalist is right. very similar. It's basically saying, okay, what did the framers exactly intend when they wrote this document? So it's not like just reading at face value, the text, but like, okay, what did the framers mean? What is so, the original part of this? So there's a little bit more room for interpretation for an originalist than a textualist. Yes, correct. So a textualist is gonna be a little bit, the argument, it doesn't work very well is the point because you look at the constitution and you read the text and you're like, I have to do exactly what that says, but it doesn't apply to this, or like it doesn't cover the situation, right? So right. the originalist would be like, okay, so what does, this means this, which must mean that right. the framers would wanted this. And yeah. so it's a little bit more nuanced and it's, it's not perfect either. Scalia is like ruled against his originalist principles um, because different right. cases mean different things and yeah. not everything's covered in the constitution. Yeah. So actually I watched like a really short clip where basically back in 2013, Sotomayor was asked, Oh, are you a, are you an 
originalist or someone who believes that the the constitution is a living document very and, loaded question <laughs> right very loaded and i don't think i don't think the 60 minutes host meant to say it like it was a loaded question but she right. sort of was like well you know i don't even really like to use these terms because like she would say uh what did she say she said basically when you read the constitution you have uh words that are that are there for reason but we have to figure out well what is like um she's talking about quartering soldiers uh like the, the court cannot or the government cannot force people to quarter soldiers in their home well what does right. it mean to quarter what does it mean to be a soldier if you look at the second amendment you have like well, what's a well-regulated militia? Right, what, what is a militia? Yep. Yeah. Where she's like, okay, books and shelves of books have been written on what each of these words means. Mm -hmm. in the Individually, just the one word. <laughs> right. Right. So that's sort of her idea. Of, well, that's where the court comes in to figure out, well, how do I make sense of what, what this is and how do I apply it to now? And, and I've heard uh, uh, other more liberal... Um, commentators say well yeah i mean the constitution is there are a lot of days where it's outdated like it will refer to the president the vice president as he and like okay well obviously it's not just limited to being men anymore um guns are completely different now and well it's a different time so we have to find a way to bring it into the 21st century right and i so, think it's important it's worth noting like the, the the framers didn't have perfect like vision. Like they didn't know exactly what 21st century yeah. America was going to look like. So um, that definitely has to be room for some, some different stuff. Right. Um, there's but other, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to move on to other like types of judicial interpretation. So. If you oh, saying. let me say one yeah. more thing. You might, you might be able to fit this in, but uh, you know, knowing that, the future was going to evolve and there is room going to be room for interpretation and things are going to change and get more complicated. I think that's where your more self-described originalist textualist judges might say, okay, that's true, but that's not our job to take us into the 21st century. It's the job of the Congress to legislate yes. and decide these things. And it's our job to interpret, um, like, is this anti-constitutional in the way that it was originally Described like if you know another issue is like amending the constitution is very difficult too so i understand judges now. judges being like okay well we can't the constitution is basically set how it's going to be forever so there are obviously going to be times where we have to move on move forward and not just stick to the same thing but yeah i mean it's 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 easy to start noticing where where it gets dicey like Yep. When is it okay to interpret in today because we realize this is an old document that we can't amend? And when is it like, well, we'll leave it up to the legislature and sort of only step on their toes when it's blatantly unconstitutional, something like right. that. Right. And that's what's, yeah, that's what's tough. Like, you know, you, you want to give the power to the Senate and you want to give the power to Congress to do right. things that, or the president, like, you know, do, to create these laws. But it's also you have the power to just set things as they are. So I get that that's hard to not want to do. And that's why right. often you'll get rulings that are like very vague and like 
they just rule on that one issue, but they're not a broader ruling. It's like, where's the broader ruling? It's like, well, that's not really their responsibility. Right. Uh, so it depends on the justice who's going to, you know, decide that way or not. Yeah. And, and sorry, we're keeping going here, but we know that the Congress, Congress loves that. They love being able to pass the buck on to the Supreme Court. We've yep. talked about this. Oh, I guess we haven't, but something that I definitely see a lot is, oh, we'll just found, uh, you know, an agency, right? We just institute an agency and uh, like, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency, I like right. pick on them for no reason, <laughs> but, but basically, uh, we don't want to sit here and sort through all of the environmental issues. It's too complicated. There are way too many things to consider. So we're just going to found this agency. And now, uh, now we don't have to deal with that anymore. Yep. And, and, and now we're going to give them the power to make these statues Which, or whatever. That's been in the Supreme Court, whether they're allowed to do that. But that's another right. issue. Like, like that's, yeah. that that's was a whole other thing. thing. <laughs> but Congress, Congress loves that because they basically – if something comes back that's poor, you know, you can't hold uh, your senator or congressman accountable because yep. it was the EPA, it wasn't the senator. And um, it's the same thing, like the, the, the Congress, they don't want to rule on abortion, they don't want to rule on gay marriage, they don't want to rule on nope. these huge decisions that the courts are making because the courts can't, can't, can't get voted out. They can't be held accountable in the same way that uh, the Congress can. So Which, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like because you see things like Brown v. Board when they're more like ahead of the curve. It's like, this is a great thing that they were able to right. rule that because that could have never gotten through Congress. But then it's the opposite when it's, you know, these other issues that it's like, well, you shouldn't have been, you know, you need to take responsibility for these actions. Right. Um, so, yeah, but it just, it's, you can see how it's a win-win for Congress because they use the Supreme court to draw out voters for themselves you got to vote for our party. We got to get this justice nominated. And then they pass all the responsibility off to the judges. Yeah, it's such an interesting cycle that you can just be like, well, I may have not done anything for you this this year, but I voted for like yeah. 50 judges that will rule on in your favor on key issues. So That is great? a lot of Mitch McConnell's speeches. I mean, he's oh. definitely not popular in his... Uh, in in his, Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, but they will keep voting for him because of the work that he does with those judges. And yeah. Which, I mean, I fall into that trap all the time. I'm like, cause his judges I think are really good. And so it's like, yeah, Oh, well then it's fine. You know, like I'll vote for you again if you vote for the right judges, but yeah, it's just passing the buck and it's, yep. um, it's a way of thinking we have to, we have to break out of a little bit, I think. Right. So wild. Um, yeah. It, I think there are other kinds of there are other kinds of judicial interpretation too. We've talked about like you know a little bit more activist types, and there's different courts goes the courts have gone through different eras throughout history, um, depending on who the chief justice is, whether they want to lead the court right. and to be more activist, to be more conservative. Right now, you'd say we have a more conservative court in that it's very it's not making these big rulings, with the exception of a few things like gay marriage. Um, but in general, it's been pretty like the big issues have been pretty uh, case by case basis and not not these these big rulings, right? Um, yeah, and I think what, one of the things that we can talk about more next week as we look at some of the important cases, because yeah. uh, we're already running a little bit long here. So, um, but is this idea of precedent, right? So, this is a really 
big important part of the Supreme Court is looking back on other previous Supreme Court cases and using that to base your decisions on future cases. So you look back at, you know, uh, I'll use Lemon v. Kurtzman, which I might talk about next week, but it basically sets this standard for um, whether something is religious, whether it violates the Establishment Clause. All right, that's kind of what the, it's this test that the Supreme Court outlined. And it's like, okay, so in the future cases, when we have that, we have this lemon test to go back through. And that's what, that's what makes our future case, like that's how we rule. Uh, and it's like whether, but is that, is that something that you should overturn? Like, can you overturn past precedent? Because yeah. that happens a lot too. Um, right. So there's that whole, like, it's not just the constitution anymore that they're ruling off of. They're also ruling off past precedent. Right. Um, and whether right, like yeah whether that's real like whether you should let precedent from 100 years like is that okay that's safe but anything in the last 25 years ah, it's kind of more gray we can overcome right kind of stuff, there's a right? lot of gray area there where it's like you know we're technically probably shouldn't overturn this but legally we can yeah and a lot of justices are more comfortable overturning precedent some are just will will not do it basically under any circumstance or it depends on the issue <laughs> yeah you have gray areas where it's like well this case is sort of similar we're overturning parts but not the whole thing and or that case was ruled really poorly because of this logic and so right. we wouldn't i would never overturn precedent but because of that bad logic this is what the right precedent you know it's like right. okay <laughs> yeah so much gray area a lot of mental gymnastics for sure yeah, it's, yeah, and I know a, a, a complaint from a lot of more originalist, textualist, right, right-leaning uh, judges or pundits is, well, the Supreme Court is no longer just ruling constitutional, unconstitutional. They're framing their decisions like statutes. They're, they're, they're starting to use the statute like formula, and it's, they're going into areas that don't really touch the case, and um, we can talk more about that next week as we get into the more particular cases, but uh, that is a big critique from the right. Um, and yeah, it's again this idea of, well, we're, you're unelected, we can't vote yeah. you out if we don't like your decision. You need to stick to calling things constitutional or unconstitutional. Although I would almost argue in the last, which we can, yeah, I would argue in the last like five year in the, this election cycle, conservatives have moved away from that. And how now, like, the court's all good because we have the court on our exactly, side. Now, right? Exactly. Right? And it's that, it's that same kind of hypocritical, like, and you knew, know. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I, I totally agree. So, it's, but yeah. I'd say in general, conservative court, principles is usually let the court just rule and then let Congress do it, which is what I would agree. But, like, now it's like, well, if we can get our things done easier and quicker, and we don't have to worry about, yeah. especially if there's a House, Senate, and White House right. all in one party right have a supreme court that is in your favor yeah so. yeah and i and we have seen the federal government grow to like a ridiculous size oh, yeah I've seen agencies like the amount of u.s code and federal code that is written is just stupendously large and i i totally get like well now what do we do because <laughs> congress definitely can't handle everything right because there's so much but again that's just, yeah, I mean, that's way more in the weeds on the small government versus big government. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite a web. It really is. Yep. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for this week. Um, yeah. 
that was a lot of info. So, but it's, I just, I personally love the Supreme Court. I don't know if that came through at all. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I love the ideas behind, you know, the judiciary. And um, so, yeah, I'm happy. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the expertise. And yeah, it's like like we said, we were looking forward to talking about it anyway, but here we are. It's back on the forefront. seems like that's not going away anytime soon. Yep. So uh, yeah, future, do, you remember, do you, go ahead. No, I was no, just going to change. Uh, I was going to say future, our future selves will know soon what the, what the outcome is. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be back here next week. Sort of talking about that and some yeah. more history and sort of what, what's the way forward? How, how does, how does this proceed? Is this going to be something where it's just back and forth and we sort of have this idealistic uh, third branch of the government. It's separate from the two party system and it's impartial and they're yeah, there for life that. and they're yep. stuck to their principles. And now we're like, well, now you can just stack and go around. And uh, I guess we, <laughs> we're back to like not really having, it's just a, another way for, yeah. So hopefully we can get more into the weeds on that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Super interesting. Do you, do you remember, um, do you remember how I met Catherine, my, my wife? Yeah, it was through uh, con law class. Was it con law or something? Yeah, yeah. Constitutional okay, yeah. law yes. summer camp. So in a way, the Supreme Court and all of his decisions are the reason, it's the reason I'm married today. Wow, so incredible. You could definitely argue that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, so really interesting. I've always, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Cool. Crazy. All right, well. Do you have a recommendation for us before we I do? Uh... I do. I'm going to share my screen for this one. Ooh, um, let's see. Oh, you have to, you have to enable. Screen. Oh no! I remembered last <laughs> week. I didn't remember this time. All right. It's enabled. We always remember. I know. We always remember. Okay. Where do I? All right. I'm annoyed. Why doesn't it <laughs> come up as screen? one of the options? I have literally so many things open that it can't find. All right. Here we go. I got it. All right, so this week I am recommending uh, a podcast called Monday Morning Dad by Ryan Shaughnessy. So Ryan Shaughnessy is a good friend of mine up here in Fairfax area, Fairfax County. He lives nearby. We're in a small group at church together. He was one of the first people that I met when I moved down to Virginia. Uh, Introduced me to my church and a lot of my good friends now. So really thankful for Ryan. He... He's done a lot for me. I think my first apartment I found through him and another guy, and um, he's just done a lot to uh, help me get set up and all of that. Great guy. This is a podcast about being a dad, and uh, it's specifically through the lens of being a Christian and wanting to raise your kids uh, in a biblical way, uh, learning from um, the wisdom of others. So he does a lot of guests. He has people on. Um, pretty much every week, and I've, you can see I haven't listened to all of them. <laughs> I need to get on it, but uh, the ones I have listened to have been awesome. Um, really encourage that, especially if you're a dad or going to be a dad soon or want to be a dad down the road. That's where I'm at, and uh, yeah, recommend his podcast, absolutely. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. I know he had said there's a lot of, a lot of podcasts and resources out there for moms but not as many for dads um, i would and, yeah i feel like that's a whole subculture is yeah moms and like things for I, them but it's not often you don't talk about dads the same way yeah yeah that's so really i cool. really yeah really appreciate his heart for um 
being dad is an important role and wanting to do that well. And he has two daughters and it's awesome to see him be a dad. And uh, I'm excited to keep hanging around him and his kids and his wife and learn from him and Madison. Listen awesome. to this podcast. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Cool. Well, I think well, that uh, wraps it up. So yeah, I think we're, we have a long episode here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, if you sat through this whole thing, thank you. Yeah, that's sort of ridiculous. Um, yeah. But, and remember we're yeah. on YouTube and um, Spotify and Pocket Casts and a whole bunch of other places. I think we're on like nine different platforms now. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we're on Facebook, Critical Conversations. You can go like our page for um, news and updates and right all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. All right. See you next week.